So we started this series last week on discipleship. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Um, the reason why I'm jumping into this topic is that we really are desiring of the Lord that this church, the DNA of this church, would be a church that is found, foundational on making disciples, becoming a disciple of Jesus, and making disciples, following the commission that Jesus gave all of his followers before he left the earth, and that, and that he ultimately gave to his followers, then he gives it to us now to go and make disciples. One of the kind of the core things of our church core statements is that we desire to become fully devoted followers of Jesus and to lead other people to Him. Right within that, fully devoted followers, that we are fully following Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus said that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, quoting the Old Testament. He said this is the greatest commandment, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so there's this idea of devoting our hearts, our lives, everything that we are, everything that we have to Jesus, and then leading others to Him as well. Being a disciple and making disciples. Last week I kind of opened up this call to discipleship. Today and next week we're going to be diving into the idea of the cost of discipleship. And I, as I said last week, I think the lack of true biblical discipleship is why so many falters fall away. Young people maybe have a major crisis of faith, and not just young people, it can be anyone that, that, that has this major crisis of faith. And I think it boils down to this idea that we have not walked in a true model of discipleship as a church. Not just our church, I think this is church-wide. Many church leaders, I read the thing that Jack Hayford wrote about discipleship in 2010. He was identifying it. Many different leaders in the body of Christ are talking a lot about this now, as we are, as, as the leaders of this church have been talking about it for some time. Is what does it mean to follow Jesus, to be his disciple, to obey the great commission that he gave us? Last week we started the call discipleship. I dealt with Acts 1 8. Remember, kind of this parallel passage, Acts 1 8, to the Great Commission. He said, You will receive power. He's about to leave. He said, You'll be, receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses or be my disciples over all the earth. And then Matthew 28, this is that, what we call the Great Commission. Oh, oh there we go. We'll pause. Great Commission. And many of us are familiar with this passage of Scripture. We unpacked it last week, but this again will be foundation to where we're going over the next few weeks. Because Jesus came to them and said, he, he's, he's risen from the dead. He's talking about, you know, he's been telling them about the Holy Spirit will come, but he said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. All, he has all authority. Since he has all authority, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we kind of cued in on this last week, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so Jesus met with his disciples. He poured into their lives for three years. And then he has other followers, other disciples that kind of rippled out from the twelve, and he had other disciples. So this is all these followers, and he thanked them, go and make disciples. What I've shown you, I want you to do. I want you to pour your lives into other people. I want you to teach them to obey everything that I commanded you, everything that I taught you, everything 
that I've given you and I have put in your heart, I want you to teach people to obey that. And so that's as us, as we are disciples ourselves, we, you know, the command is that we be a disciple and then we go and make. Be and go and make. And this is just a continual walk in our spiritual life is to be a disciple every day. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And then I want to lead other people to you. And how do we find out what, what, what is that key in teaching them to obey, Jesus says, what, what do we teach them? We teach them the Word of God. Because the Word of God, in the Gospels, you see his life, you see Paul's writings to the church, it is everything that we need in life is found in the Word of God. And then Jesus says, teach them to obey the Word of God. And then the great promise is, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. It's interesting that he would say that as he's about to leave. And surely I am with you even to the end of the age. See you later. Doesn't it almost sound weird? I'll be with you. Goodbye. And we all know that it was the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2. The church is born. It's kind of that, that, that not that the Holy Spirit wasn't here before, but he came in fullness because of what Christ did, because of the death of Jesus, because of the resurrection of Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes, gives power to the followers in that upper room, and then they go out and they begin to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And the church is born, and we are still here today because of what happened. Then we're here today because Jesus is who he said was. He died and he rose from the dead. And the promise of the Holy Spirit came, and we're here today because of that. That's awesome. And so this call to all believers, Jesus commission, what a commission is, is an authoritative charge or command. This is not the great suggestion. This is not if you feel like it. He was saying, I have authority, so I'm giving you out of my, out of the authority I've been given by my Father, go and make disciples. Be a disciple, go and make disciples that make disciples that make disciples, and on and on. Being a Christian is not separated from the call to be a disciple. And I'm not, I think you're going to see that as we unpack Scripture. There was no distinction in Scripture. Can you be a believer and not a disciple? I don't think so. I don't see it in Scripture. Can you be a believer and not a disciple? Well, here's what James says. He says, Demon, the demons believe the name of Jesus and they tremble. But does that mean demons are saved? Are they disciples of Jesus? No, they believe. They have a they have a belief system, and at the name of Jesus, the, the, the demonic spirits tremble. And so they have a fear of who He is, but that doesn't make them believers. And so I don't think you can separate. I don't think you can find in Scripture that there's a separation of being a believer and not a disciple. So today, next week, I want to look at the cost of discipleship. What did Jesus call his followers to? And ultimately, what did he call us to? He said, go and make disciples. So what did Jesus say about discipleship? What did he say about being his follower? So we're going to look at some passages today and next week. And if you're like me, you sometimes read these passages of Scripture, and it makes you really uncomfortable. <laughs> You know, we we love we love the peaceful promises of God. You know that He's my shepherd, and He comforts me, and uh, for the even the Lord my shepherd, sometimes He has to make me lie down, like holding this sheep. You know, this sheep wrestling or something. Sometimes we have to be made to lay down because we get anxious. Anybody like anxious sheep sometimes? 
But we love those passages with the kind of the peaceful promises of God. But when you start reading some of the things that Jesus called us to as followers, his followers, it, it makes you uncomfortable, and it's supposed to. What Carrie said earlier was so right on, um, is that we're going to begin this thing in love, and then we're going to dive into Scripture. I'm not going to make you uncomfortable, but Jesus is going to really make you uncomfortable today. But then we're going to end in love, right? We're going to have bookends of love because that's what Jesus said. You have to open your heart to hear what He's saying to us. And a lot of times we just, those parts that we can, yeah, yeah, I don't want to hear that part. But I come across these passages and it shakes me to the core. And just like his own disciples when you read the Gospels, and that, that's why I love these guys, is because they were like us. They failed, they made mistakes. I mean, there's some, there's some actual entertaining-type funny things that they would say. And I don't they didn't mean it to be funny, but it was just where they struggled with faith and they didn't understand what he meant. And anybody else had that? Yet they followed him. Yet they said, we're all in. We're going to give our heart, our soul to this. You know, when he calls this time, they, you know, the, the fishermen, they drop their nets and they say, we're, 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 everything that's comfortable to us, everything that we've ever known, we're dropping and we're following because we want to, we, we believe you. We, we, we're into this. We're all in. So I, I, I love their hearts because they, they failed a lot, yet they still followed. We're going to have the bookends of love, but it's going to get uncomfortable. Because Carrie said, what, you know, when he quoted Oswald Chambers, is, is that to, to know the love of God, to, to get a little bit of understanding, you continually look at the cross. This is love. This is this proof of love. This is the displays of love on the cross for us. He gave his life for us because out of love, not out of duty, not out of Somebody's making me. I willingly, Jesus, that I willingly give my life, lay my life down, and I can take it up again. And He does, and He rises from the dead. But it was out of intense, great, passionate love that He died, that He went to the cross. But as He was on the earth, and He, you know, He begins His earthly ministry at 30 years old, three years He dies on the cross, and He calls His disciples. He's always moving toward the cross. That was, his, that was his goal, right? He was going toward the cross. It didn't, didn't mean that he was always depressed. And as he got closer to it, yeah, there was, there was some angst in his soul when he sweats blood in the garden because he knowing what's getting ready to happen to him and not just the physical pain, but he was going to take on our sin and our shame and our guilt and all of that stuff on himself so that we could be free, that we could have the promise of eternal life. And he was always moving toward the cross. One passage says he was resolutely set himself toward Jerusalem because he knew what was ahead. I'm going to the cross. And if you guys are my followers, this is where we're going. This is where we're going. It'll be the death to yourself. But it'll be the greatest thing that you ever take. I want you to be my follower. I want you to be my disciple. So what is the value of your faith? What is the value of your walk with Christ? Your 
Christianity, as you, as the Bible says, working out your own salvation and fears. I mean, what is the what is the measure of cost to the salvation that Jesus has given you? Can you put a price tag on it? How precious is your relationship with Him? I think it's, I think it's good to ponder that every now and again. I think it's, it's so healthy for us to say, Lord, where's my value system that I want to hold you to a great value? And that's where that honesty before the Lord. There are times I find myself when I'm praying in here and like, Lord, I don't love you like I want to, but I really want to. I need your help. And I think you love the honest words because we're all in process. How valuable, how precious is your faith to you? Because we live in this very blessed nation where we can worship freely. We can live out our faith freely. And I think because of that, we can have the tendency to take it for granted, right? We can forget just how precious and priceless Jesus is because we hear it so much. What He did for us. How much He loves us. And again, I just talked about the love of God. And sometimes you can just kind of get numb, inoculated to hearing it so much, but that is where we say, Lord, every day I want a new revelation. I want to get your, I want to get just a little bit more today of of how much you love me. That's where we have to ask for that Holy Spirit revelation because we can hear it so much that our ears get numb to it. That's why we were talking, you know, uh, a couple months ago, I was talking about this book, The Insanity of God, or our leadership team was reading it. Um, there was some copies of some of you may have read it or you've heard about it. Um, story of, of Nick Rifkin and his wife that went to, you know, some of the hardest places on the planet. They were in uh, Mogadishu for many years and, and given their lives and, uh, to, to missions and see, trying to see people come to the Lord in these hard, dark places. And they come back and the other, that, and the first part of the book is their story. The second part is where they like, they go into parts of the world, China and, uh, and Europe and, and, and some of these Eastern Bloc countries that have uh, persecuted Christians heavily, and what they do is they, they they find people who have been persecuted for their faith, and they interview them, and they and, and it's so interesting. You hear some of these interviews, it, and you see the preciousness of people's faith. And it's hard for us to equate that, or, or, or for us to even think in that vein, right? Because we nobody's holding a gun to us. We don't have to meet secretly under. In a, in, a, in a basement somewhere. We, we, I mean, we, we can freely worship and so it's hard for us to gauge what they have gone through. Severe persecution. Listen to some of these stats. This is actually about 10 years old, so it's gotten, it, it has increased, but since the death of Jesus 2,000 years ago, 43 million Christians have become martyrs. Over 50% of these were in the last century alone. More than 200 million Christians face persecution every single day. 60% are children. Every day, 300 people are killed for their faith in Jesus. Since the rise of ISIS, that has increased. What would make people want to endure such awful treatment for their faith? What would make 10 of the 12 disciples, original disciples, die horrific deaths? If you study church history, it's unbelievable. You know, one of them is with knives. 
you know, Peter is crucified upside down because he said, I'm not, I'm not worthy to die like my Lord, so put me upside down. So he died upside down on a cross. Why would he say that? Because the, the worthiness of dying for Jesus, the worthiness of who Jesus was, the preciousness of their faith, and I love him that much because why did they, how, why, why would they do that? It's because in that three-year period when they got to know him, although they struggled, they understood, even if it was just a portion of his intense love for them, and they said, we are all in. We understand how much you love us, and therefore we will give you everything. So 10 out of the 12 died a martyr's death. John was put on the island of Patmos, this prison island. He was actually, they tried to boil him in oil and it didn't work. And so they put him up on an island somewhere. It's like, whoa, right? this is supernaturally protected by God that he didn't die. They realize the value of Jesus, what he means to them. What about us? How do we realize the value of our faith when we live where we live? And that's, again, that's, that's where it takes that revelation. That's where it takes us to really trust and say, Lord, I don't get that. There's no way I can understand that because I've never endured it. But Lord, help me to understand maybe even if it's just a little bit every day how much you love me and I want to go all in for you every single day. And so all of this goes back to the calling cost of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Here's what Martin Luther said. He said, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. Isn't that good? Many of you have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a he was a pastor in the world at the time of World War II. Um, he was he actually was a part of a group that were trying to take out Hitler. He was found he was hung. But uh, I tell you what, this guy's faith was so deep in, in the world. He he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. Here, here's a few quotes from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I think it's coming. Boom. Listen to what he says in this revelation of, of, of what it means to be a disciple. So the followers of Jesus for his sake renounce every personal right. When we in our nation where we talk about rights and this right and that right, who's got a right to what? And Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when you're a Christian, you actually don't have any rights because you belong to Jesus. If after giving up everything else for his sake, they still want to cling to their own rights, they then would have peace to follow him. Then he said this, we are disciples of Christ, but we are not Christians at all. So he doesn't make this distinction of being a Christian without being a disciple. And then when Christ calls the man, he bids him to come and die. Revelation of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It sounds great if, we, if we're not careful, we can tend to live a life with Christ that has the least amount of requirements. How can I be a Christian on the path of least resistance? That's, that doesn't even compete together. What is the minimal requirement to get to heaven? Because nobody wants to go to the other place, right? So what do I, what do I have to do? How do I, how do I get into to go to heaven? What, what's the minimal requirement? And that's the wrong question. We may not say it, but do we live it? 
So let's look again. We can we can quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I can challenge you, but let's look at the cost that Jesus calls his followers to. You got to understand when he says this, and you read this, you're gonna so you're gonna you're gonna make you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable every time I read this. Come across it in the one-year Bible, it makes you squirm a little bit. But here, his challenge, but his challenge is always in love. It's I'm calling you to something greater. This is what it means to be a Christian. So it's not a condemning thing, but it's a sobering call. They are His words. And, 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 and today I want you to listen and ask the Lord what He might be saying to you. Let Him, let him challenge you. Let Him convict you. Let the Holy Spirit convict you. And so we're going to go to Luke 14. It'll be up on your screen. I want you to take a look at this as we get uncomfortable together. A large crowd was following Jesus. We're going to talk about that in a moment. He turned around, so he's, he's, he's and they, they, they think they might be following. So he's got this large crowd, and he just turns around and he, and he begins to address them. And I just think he has a picture of these people following him. He turned around and said to them, "If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else—your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple." That's double barrels right there. Okay, this is the words of Jesus. Forgive me, parents, that I just said hate, but you understand. So kids just like cue in on that one word. They're like, you know, hey, your mom. No, no, it's not like that. I'll explain it. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin. Don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete it only the foundation for running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started the building and they couldn't afford to finish it. Verse 31. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his council to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him. And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is so far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Isn't that a strong call? Isn't it funny that we have completely, we, we, we call people not like Jesus calls them? So I love Francis Chan. Some of you guys travel along with Francis Chan. And, um, a few years ago, he was thinking about this very passage. He said, I, he said, I woke up and I was just troubled in my spirit. At the time, he was pastoring a very large church. Now, you know, he doesn't pastor anymore. He's doing ministry, does speak at conferences. And if you ever want to get really uncomfortable, read one of the books or listen to one of his messages. Um, but at the time, he was pastoring this church in, in Simi Valley, California, and I mean, they had grown their huge church, gigantic church. And he is just wrestling because he's been meditating on this passage of scripture, and he's sitting in bed. And his wife says, "Are you okay?" And he said, "No, I'm really not okay." Um, he said, "I, I don't think I've been calling people to what Jesus calls people to." 
He said, I, I think if Jesus planted a church in Simi Valley, California, he said, people might rush to the church and he might, it might be full, it might be packed, it might be large for a little while, but as soon as he starts really calling them to what he called them to in the Bible, he said, uh, I don't think the crowd's going to last that long. And then he said this, he said, I think that I would probably have a larger church than Jesus. Because I don't call them to the same things he calls them to. And he just said, Lord, help us to call people the way you call them. And so Jesus almost, you know, it's interesting that we try to talk people into Christianity. And when we talk about witnessing or bringing people to salvation, we're trying to almost talk them into it. Jesus didn't do that. In fact, if you look at this passage, he's almost trying to talk them out of it. Until you count the cost. Don't, don't start until you count the cost. You need to understand what you're signing up for. In other words, he's not saying, I want you to pray this little prayer after me, and then you're good to go. You can go live any kind of life you want to. You can just come to church once a week if you want to. Here's the minimal requirements of what it means to be my follower. He didn't say that. He said, you need to, you need to have a sober moment and count the cost because as soon as you say yes to me, it's going to completely undo your life. It'll cost you everything. It'll be the greatest thing you've ever done, but it will cost you everything. Sometimes we try to appeal to people's emotions. Jesus doesn't do that. Not in this passage. Not that we don't sometimes have an emotional response to the Lord. We are emotional beings, and we, we can't turn that off, but sometimes we do. But Jesus doesn't appeal to the emotions. He's revealing in this text that it isn't about making the snap emotional decision. Because those usually don't last. That's why you don't see when we have, sometimes when you have like altar calls, and you see altar calls. Again, I'm not saying those are bad things, but you don't see those in the Bible. You don't see a sinner's prayer in the Bible. Again, and I said this last week, not that those are bad things, not that those, they can't be a beginning point, but it is really saying Jesus is inviting us to this lifelong journey to follow Him. It's faithfulness over the rest of our lives. You see in the passage, right? A large crowd was following. He, he could draw a crowd. He could draw a crowd. In John six, in fact, it, you know he had just fed the five thousand. At the end of John six, he's addressing the crowd. And we're going to we're gonna actually going to go to that passage next week for you guys that want to come back and get challenged some more. But he, he says to them in John 6, he said, are you, are you here because I, of the miracle I did? Are you, are you just here because I, of the miracle of the 5,000 I did? And, and I think probably, honestly, if they were looking around, you know, you're probably seeing the crowd, well, you know, that's kind of why I'm here. It's kind of cool. He could, he could draw a crowd because of some of the miracles that he would do. That is why Jesus... If you did, a lot of times, remember when he would heal somebody or he would deliver somebody from demonic spirits, like if a crowd started rushing around, they wanted to come see it, he would do it quickly. You notice that? Sometimes he would do it quickly because he didn't want the crowd to be drawn to a show. He wants followers. There were times when he would heal people and he goes, now I don't want you to go tell anyone what I've done for you today. Why would he do that? 
I don't want followers for just what I can do for them. I want followers for me. And so these large crowds were following him, and this a large crowd was, was, was following him. It's not going to that passage, sorry. But this large crowd was following him. He drew large crowds. What he could do for them, they were following for the benefits and the blessing, but not for him. Because crowds can be finicky. Think of this. Some of the same people when he was writing in on Palm Sunday, when we, when we did what we would call Palm Sunday, they were saying, Blessed Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The crowds were giving him praise and adoration. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord because you know, they were hoping that he was going to somehow maybe start taking over and they would be on the side. Some of that same crowd a few days later were saying, Crucify him! Crowds would follow, and he would challenge them. And we can be guilty of this as well. Do you follow Jesus only for what he can do for you, or do you follow him for him? And three times in this passage, he says, unless you do this, you cannot be my follower. You cannot be my disciple. Unless you hate everything else in comparison, you can't be my follower. Unless you take up your cross, you can't be my follower. Unless you give up everything, you can't be my follower. That's not altar call 101 talk. Jesus, what are you thinking? Be nice to the people, Jesus. But, you know, oh, well, if that's too hard, you don't have to do that. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't back off of it. Unless you hate everyone in comparison, unless you keep up your cross, unless you give up everything you own, the rights to yourself, you cannot be my disciple. This is what it means to be a Christian. It's not separate. It's not minimal requirements. It's not just saying a prayer and, and coming to church once a week. This is your whole entire life. I want all of you. That we would want Him for Him. That we would he would be our, that we love Him so much that we would joyfully give up the rights to our stuff, that we would keep His love for us. And again, I'm pointing you to love because it is this idea of why the disciples would give up their lives is because they understood who He was, how He loved. If we understood the cross just for a moment, guys, your sin, your sin has a penalty of death. We deserve to die an eternal punishment. And Jesus said, no, I don't want you to, and He took it for you. That is love. That's the kind of person I, I, I will. I will give you everything. I will follow you with all my heart. And I want to give up the right to myself. And I struggle with that. But Jesus, I want to give up the right to myself. I want to follow you. With all my heart, I want to follow you. Take up your cross. Put down your own rights. Stop living for yourself. Stop demanding your rights. And then obey me. And then teach others to obey me. This is anti-cultural, folks. This, is, this goes against the thoughts of the world and how the world works. And, and 
I think sometimes it, it can be taught in churches where it's, we make it about you. You're the center of the story. It's about your happiness. It's about your fulfillment. It's about your desires. It's how to be the best person you can be. And Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says it's not about you. It's always been about me. I'm the center of the story. It will always be about me. However, I love you and I want you to be a part of my story. Right? And sometimes we get ourselves in the way and we say, make the story about me. And it's just not. And we live for His glory. And so you notice Jesus says, before you become my follower, don't begin. Don't start. So can you imagine you're sitting down here with somebody at the altar and they go, well, I, I really want to ask Jesus into my life. You know what? The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to start praying for them and praying for them. Here's what Jesus says, don't, don't start yet. I want you to actually go home and count the cost. Jesus, that's not evangelism 101. What are you doing? We don't teach people to say, don't start yet. I know, I know, yeah, you're a bit emotional. I know that your heart is kind of touched. But people, I, want you, I actually want you to go home and count the cost. Have a good day. Don't begin to count the cost. You need to know what you're signing up for. Don't just say yes in an emotional space. Because some people say yes and when they're emotional and they're in hard circumstances of life. Marriage is falling apart. My finances are falling apart. I'm, I'm going through this difficulty. And so I'll say yes to Jesus. And that's what Jesus gave that parable. Remember the parable of the sower and the different types of soil? Some of them spring up quickly. They look like they have life. He said, but they get choked out by the cares of this life. So in other words, what he's saying is sometimes people go through hard circumstances and they'll go, oh man, I need Jesus. I need you. I, man, if you will you will rescue me from this. And, and uh, when I used to do jail ministry down in Florida, my, my friend Ozzy called it jailhouse Jesus. He said, you're going to meet some guys that have jailhouse Jesus. And here's what that means. Jesus, get me out of this, and I'll serve you forever. Right? And then the problem is that sometimes Jesus doesn't rescue them out of it. And they're devastated because they were following for the wrong thing. But Jesus said, and then... But sometimes people go, Jesus, help me. I, I, I need you. And, uh, you know, my relationship's horrible, whatever's going on. And then they'll say yes for a time. And then when things kind of start smoothing out again, they're done. Thanks, Jesus. I'll see you later when I have another crisis. And that's when Jesus is talking about the sower and the different types of soil that they sometimes can spring up. And they look like life. And notice that Jesus gets two parables in this passage about counting the cost. The first one is, he says, no one starts a building project, right? Unless you sit down and you figure out, do we have all the money that it takes to build this building? Otherwise, he said, you lay the foundation. You haven't counted the cost. You lay the foundation. And it looks like, hey, we're getting ready to go somewhere. And then he said, then it stops, and people come by, and, they, and, and he said, and they, they laugh, and they scoff, and they said, you didn't have enough money to send it to the building. Jesus is, is comparing being a follower, his follow, a disciple of his to that picture. Then he says, who would, what king would go to war 
you know, when he's, when he's down 10,000, 10,000 versus 20,000, when he wouldn't sit down and count the cost, can we win? And he said, if we can't, and they just negotiate peace with the enemy, kind of give up and say no. He said, or you would look foolish going in. What is he saying with these two parables? Because the last, his last, his last statement is, you cannot be my disciple without giving up everything you own. In other words, he said, you can build the building. You do have the resources to build the building. And the building is your life, being a follower of Jesus. You can win the war. Because being a Christian, there is a battle. Paul says it's a, it's a battle. It's a struggle. It's a battle in your heart. It's a battle against demonic things. It's a, it's a battle. And so you are going into a war. You can win the war. Jesus is saying you can build a building and you can win the war. But this going to, the only way it's going to happen is if you give up everything you own. You can't hold back. You can't have a plan B. You go all in. You take that big step and you go, I'm all in. And there's no going back. There are no other options. So Jesus is saying, if you keep other options on the table, the building won't get built. You will lose a battle. But when you say, okay, all that I am, all that I have, everything I own, everything is his, and I'm all in. He says, you do have the ability to build the building. You do have the ability to win the war. But it's going to take you giving up everything that you own. other options. The song, I have decided to follow Jesus. Remember that song? It was no turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. In other words, I am not my own. My time isn't my own. And guys, to be a disciple, your time isn't your own. You don't have the right to your time. You say, Jesus, my time is yours. Now, again, that doesn't mean that you burn yourself out and you're going 24-7 and you never take a break. That's not what that means. Time for me to have Sabbath rest. And, but your money isn't your own. When we talk about doing a discipleship journey, we're inviting people to join this and, 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 and get into discipleship groups. Um, is it going to cost you? Yep. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you some time. It's going to inconvenience you at other times. But it's worth it that we jump in and we jump on and we say, Jesus, I want you to dictate my schedule. My life is in my own. So Paul says, I am not my own, that I am bought with a high price. You hear me say this again and again, Christianity will only be understood through totally and unconditionally surrendering your life to Jesus Christ every day. That's what it means. Unless you get that, it, your life will be a continual frustration. If you're trying to live for Jesus, trying to live for other things, going back to old sins, going back to... And again, I'm not saying that we don't all struggle with those things, but your life doesn't have to be a continual frustration. It can be that you belong to Him, that you have joy and peace, and in the process, He helps you. And here's how we get the revelation. You guys ready for the bookend? It's the love of Jesus. You guys are waiting on that, right? He loves us deeply. He loves us deeply. Understanding how much He loves us helps us to, under, to, to, to get what Jesus is talking about. 
then it's not so much of Jesus, you're requiring too much of me. Is I understand how much you love me. I am all in. That's why he said, hate everything else in comparison to me. The, 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 the Greek word for hate is not like what we see hate, but it's the elevation of love towards something else. So it's a comparative word. We say, I hate something, or you know, we use that word and, it's, and, it, and it has these kind of negative connotations. This word in the Greek, and, and, and they just, in the English, they just grab the word hate. But it's not this sense of just like, I hate you. Um, it's, a, it's an elevation of loving something else in comparison. The connotation is love. We love because He first loved us. We go all in because we, we understand that He loves us and that we, that, that, that can be only, our only response. His response of His love for me that I love Him back. You know, that's why sheer willpower and stubbornness won't cut it and it won't last. Because we can all have a little bit of... Anybody else stubborn here? Ask my family. I can be stubborn. I, I, I'm a pretty nice person. I hope you guys think that. I can be pretty stubborn. And there's some things I can just do in a stubborn, bullheaded way, but, but I'm telling you, this stuff you can't. It will burn you out. Believe me, I know I've lived it. That's why in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, the love chapter, I love that, because for, at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's talking about the body of Christ. We're all a part of the body of Christ. You're not intended to be a separate part. We're all a part of the body of Christ. And then he gets down to the bottom, he said, now I will show you a more excellent way and he goes into love, self-sacrificial love. And then he says, even though I speak with tongues, even if I prophesy, if I have spiritual gifts, if I have faith that moves mountains, even if I'm a martyr for Jesus, if he says, right, even if I get my body to be burned, if I don't have love, what is it profit? Say it out loud. Nothing. I can do all these things, spiritual gifts, tongues, prophecy, die as a martyr even. So even martyrdom, and I talked about martyrdom at the beginning, but if you're not doing it out of love and understanding His love, it, 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 it doesn't profit you anything. We commit out of love. And that's why the enemy of our soul he will battle our hearts so that we don't get this revelation of God's love. He will fight you and fight you and fight you every day that you don't understand the intensity of God's love that you found in Jesus. And I love that he gets to the bottom of that, the, the end of that chapter. Now, these three remain. Faith, is faith important? Absolutely. These three remain. He said, if I can boil it down, that's what Paul's saying, if I can boil it down, these three things remain. You need faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He said, hope. Hope deferred makes the heart that we need hope. We have to hope in something, and you need to put your hope in Jesus. And he said, and then the third is love, and the greatest of these is love. Self-sacrificial love. Understanding God's love, I will, He loves me, and then I will love Him back in response to that. To the cross, and to your love, and I will love you on all in. So when I get this, I want to pay whatever cost that I should. It's not what I'm giving up, but who I am getting. So we don't think about the cost so much. We just like, oh, look what all the things I'm giving up. We're like, look who I am getting. I get Christ. I get Jesus. I get the life that I was meant to live. I get eternal life, and He is worth it. 
Here's a part of the good news too in the love. It's a process. Aren't you glad that we're in process? All those words change and transforming. It's a metamorphosis. That's why we're being changed from glory to glory. It's a process. You're going to maybe wake up tomorrow and you're going to go, I count the cost, I'm all in, and you're going to have a victorious day, and Tuesday you're going, what happened? I fell right on my face, and I, man, I'm worried about this or that, I'm anxious about this, I had a bad day, you know, and, and, and somebody caused me to have a bad day, and then you're struck. We're in process. Get up again and say, Jesus, I want to, I mean, you're worth the cost. And I know I don't feel like it right now, but I want you to be worth the cost. I, I want to want to. Does that make sense? He even hears those prayers. I want to want to. I don't really want to, but I want to want to. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Or something like it? I'm telling you, it's real. I'm in here most mornings and I pray, and I just kind of walk around and pray, and I have sweet times with the Lord, but sometimes... My mind is like, you know, I'm like, I'm worried about this or worried about that, and I can't focus on like, what it was I, I can even pray, and, and sometimes I'll just pause on my Lord, I, I want to want to, but I'm not feeling it right now, this is, this is a process, and Jesus loves the process of you, because He understands our frame, right, He knows our form, He knows what, it says that Jesus, He, he knows what's in a man and a woman. But when you want to want to, that touches the part of it. Say, Lord, I'm in process and I want to be changed. I want to count the cost. And Lord, I know, oh, I'm over here living for myself. Oh, God, help me. I want to want to. And He loves that about us. And He wants to walk with us in the process. Because it is a relationship. It's a relationship of love. But the more you get it, the more you say, I want to go all in. And that's why surrendering your life that, that, that idea that Christianity can't be understood until you get that it's a total, unconditional surrender of your life to Jesus every day. But it's a daily thing. It's daily. It's daily. It's not a one-time shot. It's not prayer, prayer, you're good to go. It, it, it's a daily thing. That's why Jesus would take up your cross with daily. Because there's a tendency, I want to put that cross down and live for me for a little while. And we take it back up, and we put it down, we take it back up. But it's a process in Jesus who loves us. Commit your life to Him. Go all in for the rest of your days. If you falter, get up, keep going. And you got to understand this, and here's the words of Jesus. To follow Him, it will cost you everything. You meditate on this passage. He doesn't try to anything. It will cost you everything, but it will be the greatest thing you'll think He is worth it. And I encourage you today, and in the days and the weeks ahead, to examine your heart before Him. Lord, I love you. I want to go all in. I need your help. I need your strength. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish it. Please say Jesus, we love you. Lord, again, thank you for your great, intense, passionate love for us. Lord, that as we look at the cross, we're reminded of the cross, we're reminded of the sacrifice of how much you love us. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would help each one of us, Lord, that we today would make that decision, God, not just to simply 
pray another prayer, but just say, Lord, I am all in. I want to go all in. I want to count the cost. I want to understand what it means to live for you like that. God, I want to count the cost. I want to go all in with you. And Lord, tomorrow I'll have to do it again. And the next day I'll have to do it again. But Lord, you are worth it. My life is not my own. It doesn't belong to me. I give you all that I have, all that I am. And Lord, I pray that you would help us with that revelation that we in comparison to everything else, we would elevate our love for you more than anything, more than our relationships here on the earth, more than the things that we love to do, that we would love you far beyond that in comparison. Lord, I pray that you would help us to take up our cross daily and follow you. I pray, God, that we would give up everything that we own, give up the rights to ourselves, and follow you.